Editor Drake here with a quick content warning. This episode of Malcolm the Middle does touch on sexual assault, which means we do uh, discuss it a bit in this episode. Nothing especially explicit in the episode, but we do discuss it. So here is your content warning. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today we're talking about Thanksgiving, which originally aired November 23rd, 2003, was directed by David Dovidio, and written by Matthew Carlson. Hi, I'm Jake, and don't think of this as a podcast. This is going to be more like listening to the Mona Lisa. I'm David, and I don't know why I do these things that infuriate you so, but the funny thing is, I don't even care. (laughs) And I'm Eric, and tonight... We're going to tango with the gods. Well, before we get into uh, this week's episode, obviously we have our returning special guest, Eric from File Under Entertainment and the Evil Mark Show. Uh, Why don't you tell anyone who's uh, tuning in for your first episode where they can find you and uh, what your shows are about, Eric? First of all, I'm sorry, and I also don't know how special I am, Uh, but thank you for having me. It's always an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, uh, File Under Entertainment Podcast with Eric and Guest. You guys were the most recent episode on uh, for H to discuss Halsey and the Hold Steady. That was an incredible amount of fun, as I knew it would be. Also, uh, for any... Buddy that likes the sports ball, uh, I do uh, guest spots on the Evil Mark show every Thursday. We talk about sports. It's typically like a, a college football podcast when college football is going on, but it's kind of melded into every other sport during the off season. And yeah, so <laughs> it's fun. It is. I enjoy both of your shows very much, Eric. Thank you very much. And you're a very special guest. Aww, you're too kind. <laughs> I mean, you're the only person whose name I have on a shirt besides David Schwimmer, so. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. I definitely feel honored. The The bad part is that it says sucks afterwards, so. But I mean, at least it doesn't say who the fuck is Eric, like it does say for, for David Exactly. <laughs> hey, David, new shirt idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No copyright infringement stuff to worry about on that one, so. If you change it just enough. (laughs) That's right. Well, getting into our usual episode stuff, we have our community segment, uh, starting with a thank you to those of you who support us directly on Patreon, uh, where we are Let's Play Death Ray, which is how you can support us monetarily, which helps us make everything that we make, including this show, and will get you access to our secret podcast, Uncaged, where we're watching every Nicolas Cage movie, uh, which Eric has also guested on. Yeah, he sure has. 60 seconds. I'm really looking forward to the, this next one. What is it called? The unbearable weight of likeness of Massive being? talent. <laughs> yeah, the unbearable weight of massive talent and face-off are both coming up soon. So. Oh, nice. Yes, nice. We've, uh, we, we actually watched both. Sort of unintentionally back to back. (laughs) So so we've determined our next two episodes. (laughs) But uh, we also have some poll results looking back on watching the baby, which we both chose Malcolm as shittiest kid 
for that episode for abandoning Jamie, as well as some sort of more standard Malcolm neurotic stuff. And the internet agreed with us. Malcolm won with 60% of the vote, with Francis and Reese both getting 20%. Then for least shitty kid for that episode, I chose Dewey for uh, taking care of Jamie the entire episode and for giving him fair warning that he would screw him over if it ever came up. While David chose Reese for having, like, a last-minute change of heart at the end of the episode and choosing Jamie over making out with a girl who hates him. (laughs) And on that one, we actually had a tie between our two choices. It's about time. As Dewey and Reese both came in with 40% of the vote, with Francis Bot getting 20% of the vote. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Erica left a comment on that poll explaining her reasoning as she agreed with David and choosing Reese as least shitty kid. Yeah. Erica normally makes better choices than that. What's going on? I Wow. <laughs> wow. Look, nobody's perfect. We all find ourselves in agreement with David occasionally. It's, you know, it's not pretty, but it happens. But uh, <laughs> Erica says... <laughs> Uh, I voted for Reese this episode because I think I understand him really well. When I was in middle and high school, I was mean to a lot of people who didn't deserve it as a way of lashing out because I was bullied and because I was severely depressed and alone. Reese is kind of the opposite. He's self-aware of uh, being a bully, but not so much about his depression and self-esteem issues, and doesn't quite realize how badly he needs therapy. Grading on that curve, and because I'm projecting just a little, I voted Reese as least shitty kid. Okay. Which is a a fair enough personal reason to, uh, you know, be forced to uh, agree with David on something. (laughs) You know, sound reason. It's just a shame that, that, you know, lined up with you. (laughs) My reasoning was also sound. (laughs) I hate you. With that, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. And it, of course, starts with a cold open as Lois is preparing to give Reese a haircut. And Reese is giving her very specific instructions on what he wants her to do. And she's sort of blowing him off, saying that, you know, she's done this a thousand times. She knows what she's doing. And standing off to the side, Dewey is like watching this happen, and he tears the pocket on his shirt and walks over to Lois and tells her, look, I tore the pocket on my brand new shirt, uh, sneaking into the reservoir that you specifically told me never to go into. (laughs) And that's where uh, David's opening line comes from. (laughs) See? Says that uh, he doesn't know why he does these things uh, just to annoy her. Uh, And the sad thing is he doesn't care. (laughs) And of course this infuriates Lois who yells at Dewey to go to his room and she'll deal with him later. Then she like grabs Reese's like full head (laughs) in like a headlock and prepares to just go to town with the Clippers. And getting in to the episode proper, uh, we will 
as tradition dictates, begin with the F-plot. Uh, do you have a not, uh, like, nonsense, terrible name for uh, these plot lines this time, David? Why would I change the name of the F-plot, Jake? It's always been the F-plot. What is wrong and, and with what you? And do, what does F stand for, David? Because last week you said it stood for failure. <laughs> it did. <laughs> and it made sense. No, you, you didn't come up with one this time? Disappointed in you. Didn't come up with one what? It's the F-plot for Francis. Come on, Jake. Keep up. Dude, we're on season five. You should have this by now. My God, he's so gaslighting. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't understand how you literally cannot read the notes for the outline. Very clearly, the F-plot for Francis. Now, would you kindly continue? Okay. The F-plot starts with Francis outside of the house, uh, having come home for Thanksgiving, very loudly, like, yell crying at Fiamma. Uh, telling her that he's not going to keep his voice down, and he, like, continues his tirade as he comes in, saying that uh, it's gonna take five minutes for everyone to figure out that they're getting a divorce. And as they both walk in, where Lois and Malcolm were having a conversation, Piyama apologizes to them, saying they're having some issues. Which, of course, Francis, uh, dramatically says, uh... Yeah, issues, is that what we want to call uh, our entire love being uh, reduced to a lie? <laughs> and obviously with the, with his mindset and his scream crying like you're talking about, he must think that everybody's really slow on the uptake if they think it's going to take five minutes to figure out something's going on. <laughs> Fair. Well, I mean, with this self-absorbed family, I mean, that might be, depending on the day, that could be a fair bet. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, the, the next F-plot related thing we get is Hal and Lois in their room talking about what's going on with Francis and Fiamma, which Francis says once again in the background off screen, just uh, like yell crying about how his tears are going to form an ocean that Fiamma can uh, take a boat out on and leave him behind forever. <laughs> Just a little dramatic. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> and Lois is saying, you know, how awful it is that Francis and Piyama's uh, relationship seems to be falling apart. And when she says this, Hal gives her a look, a uh, sort of incredulous look. And when Lois asks why he's looking at her that way, he points out that Lois has never supported their relationship, and now it's all falling apart, and he's certain that she is the reason why, that she is controlling things to make this happen. And uh, she, like, denies it, saying she doesn't know what he's talking about. Hal tells her to, uh, you know, just stay out of Francis and Piyama's relationship don't talk to either of them. Don't say anything. And when Lois agrees and says, fine, I won't say a word, Hal says, oh, so you're just gonna let their relationship fall apart while you watch. <laughs> <laughs> then when Lois asks what uh, he wants her to do, Hal says that he's not getting wrapped up in her Machiavellian schemes. That he's going to leave her to her web of manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> then, 
Francis uh, seeks Lois out to talk to her. And initially, she tells him that uh, she, she doesn't want to uh, talk to him about what's going on. Because she knows that whatever happens, she'll be blamed for it. And uh, when Francis, like, uh, keeps pressing, she agrees to talk to him. And uh, when Francis starts talking about the potential that he and Piava may get divorced, initially Lois says, you know, don't talk like that. But then presses him to keep going <laughs> immediately afterwards. Yeah, she's got to get that tea. She's got to get that drama. <laughs> like everyone on Twitter, man. Come on. Then Francis asks if he can stay there for a while if they do get divorced. And Lois says, of course, uh, if that happens, we'll be here for you. Then Francis explains what the argument is about. <laughs> as he had a couple beers hanging out with the guys and Piyama insisted on driving, uh, but he couldn't let himself be seen in front of the guys being driven by a woman. <laughs> and upon hearing this, Lois turns to Francis and says that it's the stupidest, most asinine thing he has ever said. <laughs> and demands that he go apologize to Piyama and tell her that she is completely free of fault in this argument. And Francis is, of course, perturbed by this, saying, I thought you were on my side, to which Lois just responds, you don't have a side. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. He doesn't really have a side in this. <laughs> then we follow Lois as she goes to talk to Piyama, uh, who's, like, sitting outside on the picnic, uh, at the picnic table, as she has been refusing to talk to Francis and let him apologize. And, uh, Lois says that she knows she's had her differences with Piaba, <laughs> which, uh, Piaba says, oh, you, you mean all of the, uh, long, awkward silences occasionally broken up with thinly-veiled insults? <laughs> <laughs> But Lois convinces her to hear Francis out, say that uh, you know, when she hears what Francis has to say, she thinks that she'll like it. And then she, like, motions for Francis to come out and talk to Piyama while she goes inside and talks to Hal. And when Hal is, like, skeptical still, wanting Lois to stay out of it, uh, Lo Lois tells him... That uh, I, I just told Francis to apologize and convinced Piyama to hear him out. And Hal is, like, sort of stunned by this. Uh, not because he, like, thinks that she's, like, actually ha had a, like, big shift, but because he can't quite figure out the game that she's playing. <laughs> then uh, Piyama comes in and yells at Lois... <laughs> saying it's none of her business if she chooses to wear thong underwear. <laughs> yeah, because isn't the line, like, right before this, like, uh, he's going to say exactly what I told him to or something like that? Yeah. Yes. She, like, comes in and responds to that almost. <laughs> yeah. Which Francis comes in after her saying, you didn't let me finish. <laughs> Which uh, makes me really curious how this conversation actually went. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this is... It's such a Francis <laughs> moment, though. Then 
throughout like the sort of bits where this plot line connects with the other plot lines, we get a little bit of just sort of general tension between Francis and Piyama as they've failed to patch things up uh, until we reach the conclusion as Piyama has asked Hal to give her a ride to the bus station, you know, separately from Francis. And Hal tells Lois, I take it back, you can intervene just to fix this. Which Lois does by, uh, like, as Piyama and Francis are both out in the living room and Piyama's about to leave, Lois tells them that uh, you know, she's really sorry to see that they're getting a divorce, but that their marriage was never going to last, and that they'll probably be happier as friends after the divorce. <laughs> and, of course, this instantly turns both Piaba and Francis against her as a mutual enemy. <laughs> they, uh, Piaba says, who says we're getting a divorce? I love Francis. <laughs> and Francis uh, immediately, like, looks at Lois and says, you just can't stand to see anyone else happy, can you? <laughs> And Francis says that uh, she's underestimated them. They're not the dancing monkeys that she thought they were. And they go off, you know, back in love to get Francis's things out of the garbage. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that was really the F plot for Freud because she uses uh, reverse psychology, right? I mean, that's, I think, what we're going with. That's no. that would have been David's naming convention for the last episode or last couple of episodes, no. but now he's just what is, no. What <laughs> you guys are, man? I don't understand why you guys are so bad at this. <laughs> no, it's it's not our fault that you know you copped out on your naming convention. I didn't cop out. Mm, feels this like is, a cop out to me. <laughs> you wouldn't know, Jake. You wouldn't know a good title or a proper title if it bit you on the ass. <laughs> See, David is using his own version of reverse psychology here, trying to gaslight both of us and, like, playing the double heel. He's normally just the heel, but now that I'm here, he's got to be the double-double heel. So, yeah, we're all on to you. Can you have a heel turn if you're already a heel? <laughs> is that how yeah, it works? the double-double heel is back into the straight man, so that's why he's going with the conventional naming conventions. That's why he's he's back to playing it straight, because, yeah. But he's still. It's I've very, always had the right naming convention. It's very you guys heel just keep fucking it up. <laughs> well, well, let's uh, well, let's see how uh, you, you think of this next one then, as we move on to the next plot line, the Hal, Reese, and Dewey plot or Herd plot. Now, what, what do you have this one marked as, David? This is clearly the T plot for Turkey. But, but the turkey is only one of many dishes. No, 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 no. The turkey is the centerpiece that ties, much like this plot line, that ties the meal together and is the masterpiece that we're going to be talking about and hearing about, Jake. The turkey is the glue that holds this together, all right? I mean... It's what causes this technically it's the turkey monkfish it's not the turkey without the monkfish and it's not the monkfish without the turkey so i mean you could have called it the tm plot or it could have just been t for thanksgiving or this is like the the titular a plot or this is like the plot number one so you can just go with any of those other no. conventions no 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 
No, this is the turkey <laughs> plot because none of those things matter, including the turkey turkey monkfish debate without the turkey and the historical and the cultural significance of the turkey. The turkey matters to this plot, just like Hal Reese and Dewey's interactions matters to the rest of this episode and is what brings everything together. Okay, David. Okay. <laughs> Don't well, get mad because I'm right. I wouldn't say I'm mad. Just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> wow now you're stealing my joke too i would never steal your joke david oh yeah yeah you've never stolen anything from me exactly don't worry i got another one that you can't steal from me because i don't think you remember it okay it's not in a field that you would pay attention to okay then i look forward to that but uh this plot line starts with hal waking up thanksgiving morning and looking very confused as he goes towards the kitchen and finds a sheet in his way. And when he steps into the kitchen, which, uh, like, all of the uh, ways in and out have been covered with these sheets, he finds Reese is already up and working on the Thanksgiving dinner with Dewey sitting at the table doing some prep work for him. And... When Hal asks what's going on uh, with all of these sheets, Reese says that he can't cook if he's distracted. <laughs> and when Hal is you know, saying that he's being ridiculous, Reese brings up the chocolate souffle that he made two years ago and says that that's rat puke compared to what he has planned for this year. <laughs> and uh, when Hal is still skeptical, he says, yeah, we'll remember those crepes I made last year. Well, compared to uh, what we're having tonight, those are garbage. And that's where my opening line comes from, as he says that uh, tonight's dinner is going to be like eating the Mona Lisa. <laughs> and Hal starts to say that you know, he can't compare his cooking to the Mona Lisa, but as he opens his mouth to say this, Reese like takes a spoonful of some sort of sauce and feeds it to Hal. Uh, who immediately upon tasting it just asks, what do you need me to do? <laughs> and Reese says that he needs his blind robotic uh, obedience. And uh, Dewey turns to Hal and says, we also get to eat anything that drops on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we see Reese feeding some balsamic to Jamie and explaining that they you know the mouthfeel is different with the real balsamic to him. <laughs> and Hal walks in, and when he walks in, Reese orders him to re-clean the pots and pans that he just cleaned. And when Hal protests, saying that, you know, that they're already clean enough, uh, Reese directly insults Lois's cooking. <laughs> basically says that they need to scrub the taste of the trash that Lois makes out of the pots and pans. I hope that's somebody's uh, best line of the episode. I hope, because if it's not, then I think you need to say it because it's just too good to let it slip by. <laughs> uh, it's not one of mine. David, is it yours? No? Okay, yeah. so, so the line is, the stubborn patina of tuna casserole, enchilada loaf, or whatever this greasy spoon churns out. Night after soul-killing night, but not this night. Tonight we go for greatness. I love that line. 
It is a great line, but uh, th this is one of those episodes that is just chock full of great lines. Way too many. <laughs> I think I had to narrow my pick down from my original 30. Holy cow. <laughs> Three spreadsheets here? <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> Amazing. But uh, Hal is like once again saying that he, he's not going to do this, that Reese has gone too far, but once again... Reese shuts him up by feeding him some sauce. <laughs> Dude, it looks so nasty, too. It's just like a runny... It looks like runny baby food is what it looks like. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> you wonder how many takes they had to do where, like, Brian Cranston was just like, all right, enough. It, it had to be something that wasn't, like, so horrendously bad tasting to continue to want to do it because he doesn't look like he's appalled. <laughs> like, he looks right? like he's really enjoying it. And uh, he turns and starts re-scrubbing the pot that he had at hand. While Dewey comes in through the back door and Reese starts giving him orders as well, saying he has something for him to do. Which Dewey also like, starts to complain, saying that he's done helping. And Reese convinces him... To, uh, to do his extra shopping to, to get the things that uh, Hal wouldn't spring for. He has stolen $80 out of Hal's wallet, and he gives it to Dewey and tells him that uh, the, the, the list he has for him is $240 worth of stuff. So he's going to have to dial up the charm. And Dewey agrees to do it once Reese agrees that he can keep whatever's left over. <laughs> it's entrepreneurial ship, Jake. He learned it in, uh, you know, the, the gymnasium from watching Reese. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but then we see Reese telling Hal to get the bird out of the fridge. And when he pulls it out and sees how small the turkey is, Hal is sort of confused. And Reese explains that it's perfect. It has to be that small to fit in this. And he pulls a giant monkfish out from under the table, which Hal looks disgusted by upon seeing it. And he starts to uh, question Reese's methods as he asks, You're gonna put our dinner in that monster? <laughs> And Reese explains that the turkey is going to marinate in the juices of the monkfish and they are going to fuse together into one dish. And uh, when Hal starts to complain, once again, Reese uh, says, Oh yeah, because I don't know what I'm talking about as he thrusts some more food into Hal's mouth. <laughs> once again, silencing him. Some interesting thing about that will come up later about Reese's uh, knowing what he's talking about, maybe. Yeah? Yeah. See, okay. I, I, I think I tricked you with what I was looking at, with what my deep dive was on, Jake. Okay. See, Jake watches me as I rewatch stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I, 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 I figured I had to throw, throw a bone in a certain direction to mislead him. He's never going to see this coming. Okay. I appreciate the uh, mind games that you're playing. I've got to, Jake. You, you, if you know ahead of time, then you jump on here and steal it and then claim that you did all of my research. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Yeah, mm. Pop-Tarts. Move on, anyways. If you're talking about food research, I think I might have stolen yours. <laughs> you son of a bitch! <laughs> God, I hope so. <laughs> Don't worry, something bad will happen and his audio will cut out right around then. It's fine. <laughs> As, as David disconnects our internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Eric curse at play again. <laughs> it is literally just a touch of a button behind me. Well, it is coming up on 8 o'clock. You said that uh, we normally would have to wrap up around then, otherwise the, your internet starts slowing that, down, right? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> oh, boy. But... Uh... <laughs> You keep those hands where I can see him, mister. <laughs> but uh, having once again silenced Hal, Reese starts talking to the monkfish and like leans down and like lifts its lips so that it talks back. <laughs> but then we follow Dewey on his shopping trip as he is like in a shop uh, telling the... A uh, guy behind the counter that he lost his money and he's like holding his coat very tight and coughing like, like with every other word. And uh, he tells the guy that his parents sent him to get these truffles because they won't tell me why, but they keep saying it's a very special Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and the shop clerk falls for it and gives Dewey the truffles for free. And says, uh, his boss is a jackass anyways. <laughs> Dewey goes out of the shop and walks over to his little grocery basket, which is full of stuff. Then uh, we see Reese uh, becoming just a more and more iron-fisted chef. Yeah, he's an iron chef. Uh, as he is yelling at Hal because these onions are minced and I clearly asked for diced. <laughs> and he throws them in the garbage. <laughs> and Hal says, uh, you can't talk to me like that. And Dewey then starts to complain as he's sitting there peeling potatoes saying that this isn't very fun. And Reese turns on Dewey as well and yells at him, saying it's not supposed to be fun. This is important. Lives are at stake. <laughs> no, they're not. Well, it's very important. Ah, <laughs> uh, frickin' Gordon Ramsay, man. That's, that's what this is. People love that guy. Then Reese starts to go on, like, a little speech about how they're making something beautiful. And I, I believe that little, like, speech is where Eric's opening line comes from. The tango for the gods, yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and a as he's going on this, like, diatribe uh, about how they're making this beautiful, important thing, Hal is, like, realizing that his wallet is in the wrong pocket. And he pulls it out and opens it up and says, Wait a minute, there was $80 in here. What happened? <laughs> And uh, Reese tells him uh, that I had to take it. The, the cheese dish was abysmal. <laughs> and that's the final straw for Hal. As he says, that's it. I quit. And then clarifies just with the helping part. I'm still doing the eating part. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Reese says, uh, that's fine because he still has Dewey, who's a uh, better assistant chef than Hal could ever hope to be. <laughs> and he, like, walks over to Dewey after saying this and, like, rips the potato out of his hand and starts peeling it himself. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, the next time we come back to this plot line, Dewey is also quitting. <laughs> As he's uh, walking out of the kitchen saying that he's done and Reese is just yelling at him that uh, this is why he's a small man and always will be. <laughs> that uh, one of the most like referenced moments in all of Malcolm in the Middle happens as Reese is you know trying to finish everything up now alone and Piyama walks into the kitchen <laughs> And, uh, like, looks around at all of this stuff and, and is, like, amazed by ha all of this stuff that Reese is making. And, of course, Reese immediately puts her to work, stirring a pot. Then, uh, as, as Reese is, like, going through the list of everything he has left to do, the timer for the monkfish turkey starts to go off. And, uh, Reese starts to, uh, look around for the oven mitts, but he can't find them. And when, when Piyama offers to help look, he says, no, you just keep stirring. Then, unable to find the oven mitts, he starts looking for anything else that he could use as oven mitts, but can't find a single thing. And Piyama offers to run to the bathroom and grab a towel. But Reese says, uh, no, there's no time. It has to come out right now. And... Uh, he goes over to the oven and with his bare hands <laughs> pulls the turkey monkfish out. And uh, as he's burning his hands, he screams for Piyama to clear a space for the turkey. And <laughs> when she asks where, he yells, move the oven mitts. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great fucking joke. I love that so much. I <laughs> have seen this happen in real life. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which one of our family members it was. It was a long time ago. It was at Grandma's house. A hundred percent, somebody couldn't find the uh, the oven mitt, and then they set it on the counter on the oven mitts <laughs> so that it wouldn't damage the counter. I think it was your brother. It's Could been be? too many years now to remember. But yeah, yeah, this uh it wasn't Thanksgiving, it was Christmas. But uh yeah, our our grandma always cooks a ham for Christmas. And I 100% have seen somebody just reach in and grab it and and drop it on, only they didn't move the oven mitts. They just set it on the oven wow. mitts. <laughs> Look, sometimes you're desperate. Sometimes you're stupid. <laughs> but that was the that was the entirety of the reason for me wanting to be on this episode was to watch that and talk about that because that is like one of my favorite all-time moments of this entire show i mean I, I had no idea i mean i could imagine yeah. that it would be like pretty beloved but i i didn't know like you had referenced that a lot of people often mention that but i can see why because it's incredible but yeah that's one of my favorite reese moments and just malcolm moments in general <laughs> Yeah, I think behind the Hal roller skating scene, this is probably the, the moment I've seen the most in, like, GIFs or just, like, still images just all over the internet <laughs> for years and years. <laughs> it's very good. It is. It is <laughs> it's hilarious. Fantastic. It's one of my absolute favorite Reese moments, for sure. 
But then uh, the, the like last little bit for this plot line is the dinner itself as uh, we see everyone uh, except for Malcolm uh, sitting around the dinner table uh, waiting to eat and Reese starts like bringing out all of these dishes one by one and they're all like very fancy looking and they're all like plated in like a very fancy way. And as he's breathing about, it's also worth noting that Reese's hands are both covered in bandages now, <laughs> which is a great detail. Yes, it is. Uh, then uh, they, they set up and are about to eat dinner when Malcolm comes in. And we will uh, cover what happens there with the last remaining plot line, the M plot. David, <laughs> what horseshit do you have the, for us now? <laughs> the M plot? Yeah, for Malcolm. No, not even close, Jacob. This is the B plot. <laughs> Damn it, I actually agree with them. <laughs> For beer? God. So the number two <laughs> plot, you're saying? <laughs> also that, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think poop is involved. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There was somebody passed out drunk. Number two's probably involved at some point, Jake. <laughs> 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 I don't think that's a, a, like I, I don't think that's like synonymous. I don't think it's like, oh man, I got blackout drunk last night. Shit everywhere. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Of course. No. If you pass out, you're gonna shit your pants. I mean, that's just like ipso facto. Like that's that's those go hand in hand. <laughs> uh, look, I don't know that I have ever been at a party. Where someone didn't either shit their pants or you had like a line of four or five dudes who woke up about the same time super hungover and all fighting over the bathroom because they all had to shit. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen someone pass out and shit themselves, like vomit all over themselves. You're going to the oh, wrong no, I've party, seen, even, even like piss on themselves. I've, seen, I've never seen someone shit themselves. Like, no, is... dude, shitting themselves is like <laughs> under the vomit. I've seen way more people shit themselves than people who like what? vomited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Can confirm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to the wrong parties, Jake. <laughs> like, like, we're not even gaslighting you here. This is just straight up like a real thing. I, I've vomited. I've seen other people. I've never, never once. The idea that, that that's under vomiting is insane to me. <laughs> I've only ever. Now, I've seen people vomit before reaching like drunk state. But people who hit like blackout drunk state. The only people that I have seen that I've partied with vomit at that point is you, me, our buddy Ben, and his wife. Out of all of the people I've partied with, I think I've only seen four people vomit. I've seen way more people shit their pants. <laughs> I've seen the double combination. I've seen vomiting while shitting. So. <laughs> I have seen that. That was for my brother, though, so uh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> My mind is blown right now. Really? <laughs> yes. Dude, how, you listen to Jeff talk about it all the time. Yeah, but but like that's that's an achievement hunter. They, they all shit their pants all the time. It's a thing. <laughs> I think you need a secondary <laughs> poll this week. I think I think we need to, we need to ask the audience. 
Vomiting or shitting your pants? What is what have you encountered more often? You know, it does bear hmm. I do realize that now though, Eric. You and I have drank with a lot more military guys this is than JK. Yes. Fair. And they get to a whole nother level of drunk. Yeah. They don't even consider themselves drunk until they shit their pants. <laughs> There's no way that's just like, oh, I drank so much I shit myself. No, see, the, mo- people don't say that. Most normal, <laughs> responsible people will be like, I'm feeling very buzzed right now. Then they'll continue to drink and they're like, I'm very drunk right now. They, you still have that like cognitive awareness of like where, what your mindset is. These, some of these guys, they have like very little brain cells to begin with. And they're just like, I'm like pissed drunk already. I'm going to continue to drink until I can't remember anything at all or move to get up to go to the bathroom. So ipso facto, I'm going to defecate all over myself and everything in my vicinity. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. They reach a level where where they don't do anything but shit their pants. Oh, yeah. It is worth noting that you mentioned you've seen people like piss themselves. Uh usually that is paired with the guys who get so drunk they shit themselves. Yeah, I'd assume so. That, yeah. Yeah. It seems like a much lower bar. Yeah. (laughs) The whole adage where there's smoke, there's fire, where there's urine, there's feces, probably in that case. I did not think we were going to spend nearly this much time talking about this. I didn't think we were going to talk about this at all. Is this another Olive Garden cut? I think this is another Olive Garden cut. We can't can't advertise. Hashtag release the shit yourself, guys. No, Jake. It's hashtag pee pee poo poo. So, so Malcolm in the middle. <laughs> That's still going on, huh? Oh. <coughs> oh. Okay. Uh, so the, the M plot starts with Malcolm uh, sitting in a park. It's a B plot. Right. The M plot starts with Malcolm sitting in a park with a bunch of other teenagers, and he turns to camera, and he explains that he is so happy to finally have some normal friends. Uh, They're hanging out outside, and uh, no one's grass allergy or the pollen count hasn't come up yet. (laughs) Then uh, one of the girls named Kirsten, uh, who is actually uh, played by Alessandra Torsani, Uh, This is actually her second time appearing in the show, as she was in Malcolm's Girlfriend as the eponymous Malcolm's Girlfriend, whose face we never saw. Uh, But here she is playing Kirsten, who uh, says that she never noticed how pretty Malcolm's eyes are. And Malcolm turns to camera and says, yeah, that's Kirsten, and... Uh, he can't really get a read on if she likes him or not. And then, as he, like, comes out of his fourth wall break, she says, Probably never noticed because of how freakishly huge your head is. <laughs> Malcolm turns to camera and says, Mostly because of things like that. <laughs> then, 
uh, one of the uh, guys named Dylan invites them all to come over for a party on Thanksgiving. He says that there will be beer there and no one's allowed to leave till it's all gone. And uh, Malcolm agrees to go. And as he is walking away, uh, Kirsten compliments his butt. And when he, like, turns around and smiles, she says, Oh, why'd you have to ruin it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had that treatment a couple times. Uh, I think I've heard that exact line <laughs> in high school. <laughs> but uh, Malcolm, once again, turns to camera and says that he knows what she's doing. She's trying to throw him off balance, but it's not going to work. And as he's saying this and walking, he walks straight into a telephone pole. <laughs> then, uh, at the Wilkerson house, Malcolm is, you know, getting ready to go. He tells Lois that he's gonna go to a party, but he'll be back in time for dinner. And Lois, uh, doesn't tell him no. She just immediately starts guilt-tripping him. <laughs> saying, uh, there's gonna be a party here, too. It's called Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, instead of uh, some friends that you've only known for a few weeks, it's going to be uh, all the people who have uh, been making sacrifices for years to make sure you have a roof over your head. And Malcolm starts, uh, you know, saying that it'll only be a couple hours. And Lois says, oh, like the couple hours that you were still stuck halfway inside me when I was giving birth to you? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, gets Malcolm to say, okay, only a half hour. <laughs> then Lois uh, asks him why he would rather go be with a bunch of strangers than his family on Thanksgiving. And of course, uh, we get a montage of flashbacks to demonstrate exactly why Malcolm doesn't want to be there with his family. With uh, the, the first one being Francis screaming at Hal and Lois. Uh, with, like, a middle-aged woman there that Francis is saying that he loves her, and if they can't see that, then he feels sorry for them. <laughs> then the second one is uh, everyone except for Hal, like, passed out at the uh, table, like, literally in their food, while Hal is, like, crying, talking to his dad. Uh, so, you know, he understands he couldn't make it when, when you, uh, want to break in a new toothbrush. <laughs> the last one, they're all just sitting there in complete silence, and it looks like the table has exploded. <laughs> there's, like, there's, like, something on the turkey. Like, it is weird. Right? Well, they're, they're, like, all covered in just, like, food mush, and all of the food on the table is ruined, and it's, like, splattered throughout the entire kitchen. And Hal just says, go ahead and say it, Lois, and Lois says, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> then, coming out of the flashbacks, Malcolm tells Lois that he's just gonna go over and tell them that he can't make it to the party. And uh, Lois points out that Francis is coming, that he's... Driven hundreds of miles with her just to be here. Piyama. I know, I know her name. Then <laughs> <laughs> nice. that is where Francis comes in. Uh, having, having been summoned like Beetlejuice by his own name. <laughs> and as Lois is distracted by Francis's very dramatic entrance... 
as Francis, like, leaves the room, she tells Malcolm, uh, you better go get your dad. But when she looks over, Malcolm is already gone. <laughs> I mean, taken advantage of the situation and left to go to the party. Then we see him at Sad Party where he is playing pool with Kirsten and uh, he turns to Cameron and explains that he's finally figured her out. Uh, that, uh, that it's more of a uh, friend-brother thing. It's not sexual at all. And then he watches her, like, blow the chalk off of her pool stick, and he turns to camera, and he says, Then again! <laughs> then Dylan brings down beers for everyone, saying that his uh, stepdad drinks so much that he, you know, he can't even keep track of all of it, and he, like, gives one to everyone. Uh, including Malcolm, and uh, as soon as they open them, his stepdad comes down, uh, like, into the basement where they're all hanging out, and everyone else just, like, hides their beers behind their back, but Malcolm, like, throws his away. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, Dylan's stepdad just, like, complains about his mom and goes back upstairs, like, not paying attention to what they're doing at all. And they all kind of make fun of Malcolm for, uh, you know, tossing his beer away. <laughs> then Kirsten tells Malcolm, she, she, like, looks at him and says, uh, I bet you kiss like a nine-year-old. <laughs> and uh, Malcolm once again turns to camera and says, okay, I know what she's doing this time. She's clearly coming on to me. <laughs> I'll show her how a nine-year-old kisses. I... <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of this line not a fan of this line <laughs> but as he like turns uh, to where kirsten was like leaning uh towards her to you know, try to kiss her uh in the meantime while he was talking to the audience she like walked around the pool table and dylan walked over to where she was so instead he almost kisses dylan then the next time we come to this plot line kirsten is like hip bumping malcolm and Mount Malcolm is saying that, uh, you know, he thinks that things are starting to go better. Feels like he's really making headway with Kirsten. And then he tells her that uh, she's behind the proverbial eight ball. <laughs> and he turns to camera and says, proverbial? Why did I say proverbial? Maybe she didn't notice. But of course she did. And she immediately starts giving him shit. And that finally causes Malcolm to, like, snap at her saying... Uh, you know, you, you, uh, think that this is flirting, but really, you're just being mean. And Kirsten, uh, confirms that, uh, no, she thinks it is flirting. And Malcolm, like, starts to very slowly lean forward to kiss her. <laughs> and getting impatient, she says, before we're old? And they proceed to start making out. Then we, when we come back, they are still making out. Now, uh, much more enthusiastically, like, on the pool table. And, uh, they're, uh, still drinking their beers. There are clearly a couple in at this point. And, uh, Malcolm once again turns to camera. And he says that he's, uh, having the, uh, best night of his life. And he's going to make sure to memorize this moment forever. And he takes a drink of the beer and immediately starts to repeat himself. <laughs> then they realize that they're alone, and when Malcolm asks where everyone else is, Kirsten says, Fireworks? <laughs> and, uh, Malcolm gets upset that no one told them about the fireworks. <laughs> then as they uh, start to make out again, 
Uh, Dylan's stepdad once again comes down, and Malcolm volunteers to do the talking. <laughs> as he, like, very awkwardly tries to cover for them, including, like, going on, like, a whole little tirade about the history of Thanksgiving and why they eat pie, <laughs> even after the stepdad has gone back upstairs. <laughs> And uh, Kirsten gets his attention by throwing a condom at him. Then that, that of course, uh, gets Malcolm's attention back to her. And as Malcolm, uh, like, starts to uh, try to make a move, she, like, falls over because she's so drunk. And, like, briefly passes out. She, like, lays there snoring for a second until Malcolm asks if she's okay. <laughs> And she just, like, props herself up and says, I'm back. And she asks Malcolm, so are we going to do it? And Malcolm looks down at her and says he has to go. And he runs off, grabbing the last couple beers as he goes. Then we see Malcolm when he's finally arriving home, uh, very drunk. And uh, he... Tells them all that, uh, you know, he's gotten drunk and uh, he tells them that he's probably gay because he passed up this opportunity. And he asks Lois, how do you like your golden boy now? And Lois just says, what golden boy? And tells him to go to his room, but he says, not until I've said everything I have to say. Then of course he starts to look very sick and he grabs the turkey monkfish that Reese worked so hard on and proceeds to vomit directly into it. <laughs> Tying that plotline into the turkey, as I mentioned. And uh, presumably vomits all over the rest of the dinner as well. <laughs> Although Reese does, like as everyone is like running away from the table, <laughs> Reese does say, some of those shrimp are still good. <laughs> I mean, he worked very hard on that. To see it all go to waste like that has got to be... Uh... Really disappointing. You're not wrong. But then uh, we see the next morning, Francis is uh, sitting with Malcolm, like, clearly helping him with his hangover, and telling him that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the vomiting at the table was uh, nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, the distance wasn't much, but the volume was impressive. <laughs> and uh, when Malcolm, like, says that... Uh, he chickened out, and I, you know, asked what was wrong with him, why he passed up that opportunity with Kirsten. Francis just says, uh, dude, you didn't take advantage of a drug chick. And Malcolm says that, uh, Lois must be losing her step, as, uh, she only, uh, gave him no TV, video games, or computer, and he has to uh, clean the kitchen and bathroom tile with a toothbrush and wash every window in the house. Uh, and he has to change all of uh, Jamie's dirty diapers for the next uh, six months. And it says, you know, that, that's all the punishment she gave me. And then Francis says, no, dude, there were like nine other things she added on after you passed out. <laughs> And uh, that wraps the episode up. So let's go to our awards. Yeah. Awards. And 
as usual, we will begin with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for that one, Eric? Uh, I did uh, Reese playing Puppeteer with the Monkfish uh, and having him say, Yes, Master, I will be delicious for you. I think that was incredibly funny. Uh, I almost went with the <laughs> the uh, grabbing uh, the Monkfish out of the, the oven, but I thought, you know, maybe one of you guys wanted I went another direction. I didn't want to steal everybody's How things. considerate. <laughs> Which, uh, I am glad that you did so, because that is, in fact, my first choice for Roller Skating Teen Award, <laughs> is Reese pulling the monkfish out of the oven. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, j- just the pan over to the table with the oven mitts sitting there. <laughs> it's just so well executed. Just such a perfect joke. Absolutely. Uh, what did you have, David? Uh, so still tied around the same thing we've been talking about. Uh, I have a monkfish part, but it has nothing to do with what you guys said. Mine is when Reese first pulls the monkfish out and the look on Hal's face (laughs) and sort of that little slap on the table. (laughs) I just, I love it because it does. It looks grotesque and hideous and awful and slimy and disgusting. And I just, I love the idea of surprising someone with what a monkfish looks like that way. Uh, just so funny. Okay, then. Uh, kudos to the monkfish for winning all of our <laughs> Roller Skating King Awards. Right? <laughs> and moving on to our next award, what did you have for your Hot Dog with Mustard Award? Eric, your award for the best love. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually still around that same part. I think that's going to be a trend. Uh, it's the exchange between Reese and Piyama about taking the food out of the oven, and it's kind of cheating a little bit because i'm actually taking two within that conversation both by reese but uh it has to come out exactly at 538 not 537 not 539 and then the clear me space move the oven mitts if i actually had to choose one it would be the latter fair (laughs) now what did you choose for this award david (laughs) i also have a reese line uh and it is two characters again but it is not piyama it is reese and dewey uh and it is do you trust me no do you fear me not in the long run. <laughs> I, just, that is great. I love that exchange so much. And it just, it reminds me of like very much so the interactions with like my brother or like you and me when we were younger and stuff like that. It's just, it's very relatable line and interaction. Fair enough. And those were in fact my number one and two choices. <laughs> but with those both off the table, I will go with the Hal line. I'm not smart enough to figure out what you're up to, but when something goes wrong, I'm blaming you. <laughs> that, that was my backup. <laughs> there were so many, like you had made mention, there were so many great lines. I mean, there always are, but I mean, this episode especially just seemed like they would really hit it out of the ballpark with all the great just one-liners that they had. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, then moving on to our next award, which plot line did you give the A plot of your heart? So I think the funniest moments in the lines come from the titular plot line, the plot line number one, if you will, <laughs> uh, with Reese preparing, preparing the dinner. <laughs> the T plot for turkey? I think you mean the herd plot. No. For how Reese and Dewey. Nope. <laughs> but I do think, despite our uh, disagreeing on the name, <laughs> 
I must say we were all in agreement that it's the best plot line. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, who did you choose as your favorite character? I gave it to Reese. Uh, I love seeing him have some authority over others in the house because it's a very rare task that he's only qualified to do, like cooking. So it's it's nice to see him kind of in his element and yet still kind of be the foil to everything that goes wrong. Uh, who did you choose, David? Uh, I chose Lois because we get to see my favorite Lois in this episode, which is the like manipulative yet angry Lois who's very much in tune with everything uh, and knows exactly what to do in the in the moments that matter. And I love the ending of this where she very clearly knows that she has to make herself the enemy so that they can unite, much like her and Hal frequently make up over you know having another enemy to channel their their frustrations you know and much like i have to do to keep this show going so i completely understand the sacrifice i completely understand the insight that lois has and i appreciate it and i love her thank you for your sacrifice David. you're welcome jake i will ruin my reputation for this show you have a reputation to ruin? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I sided with Eric on this one. I also chose Reese as my favorite character. This has, like, all of the best lines and moments in the episode. It's, uh, you know, just a, a rare moment for Reese to shine. <laughs> then, who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award your award for Best Acting? I give it to Frankie Muniz in this case because his drunk character uh, was understated, but I think that many times the people try, they really try to up the ante of the perceived effects of being a drunk. They emphasize like slurring your speech or stumbling around, and he played it pretty well, presumably. Shitting yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he played it pretty well, presumably never having actually been been drunk before at that age. I'm well, who knows? You know, in Hollywood, who? But you never know. But the, the physical comedy of running into the telephone pole as well and the almost kiss with Dylan and then how he played it off and then uh, how he tossed the beer, just the, the little subtle things that he did. Uh, I think he did an even better job than normal in this episode, so I gave it to him. Okay. Who did you choose, Dave? I gave this to Eric Persullivan. Okay. While I hate the corruption that has been thrown upon the perfect angel Dewey, the scenes with uh, like him in the uh, store manipulating his way into getting the truffles was absolutely phenomenal. I also, knowing that he is you know younger than all the rest of the kids, his uh, scene of outrage was amazing. And the cold open. The cold open was so funny. And I just, that, that sort of manipulative cold calculating Dewey, awful but hilarious. Also, I looked it up, and Frankie Muniz would have been either seventeen or eighteen when this came out. Okay. So odds are he at least had some yeah. experience. <laughs> but I went with Justin Burfield for my Glorious Leachman Award because again, just his delivery of every fate in this episode is just so flawless, and just the. The physical comedy of that pulling the monkfish turkey out it is just done so well. Like it's, it's, it's an episode for Reese to shine, and it's also an episode for him to shine. 
uh, as a performer. Yeah, not a bad uh, choice in the bunch. I think they're all pretty good. I agree. I would agree. And moving on to our next award, what did you choose for your OK Boomer Award, your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release? Okay, so thank God I'm going first because I really had to struggle with this one. I tried to find like the specific sheet sets that Reese had hanging up in the kitchen, uh, thinking maybe they would be tied to that specific period of the early 2000s. But what I ended up settling on uh, is the fact that they were going to be having monkfish for dinner. David, is that what he's not, he's playing coy? Okay, so keep going. Two, keep going. In 2007, the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration, cautioned, cautioned against eating monkfish as many were found to actually be mislabeled pufferfish containing tetrodotoxin, which is potentially lethal, and though less common, that is still potentially an issue today. And aside from the tetrodotoxin, monkfish is also potentially high in mercury, so consumers are urged to use extreme caution if they're going to partake in monkfish. So, uh, yeah, they they got in before that that warning was issued, so. Well, that's not complete. First of all, (laughs) that is only part uh, and yes, this is one of the things that I researched, but not the only thing. <laughs> the monkfish was actually removed from that recommendation by the FDA because that was only in 2007, and it was due to a mislabeled shipment in Chicago where it was pufferfish instead of the monkfish. And so they started to believe that monkfish carried tetrodotoxin. However, they were able to prove that that's not the case. However, monkfish is actually despite the the category of fish that it is, is actually for its category low in mercury and is safe to eat up to once per week. And it's often referred to as the poor man's lobster (laughs) because it doesn't flake when you cook it Um, like other fish. It retains a more solid, juicy, and almost steak-like quality to it, Uh, which is why you see it covered in loose breading and on the sides of the plate, almost like a garnish when Reese serves it up because this is a very common way to serve monkfish is on a almost lobster-like steak uh, or country fried steak style was very common at the time. Also, (laughs) because I read up on this, goddammit, monkfish is frequently used in place of fishes like sea bass, halibut, mahi-mahi, sea scallops or snapper and vice versa so it is frequently used in recipes in places where they cannot easily get those however more recently and i believe in 2021 there were a lot of places that stopped selling monkfish and stopped using monkfish because they believed that they had been overfished because they were getting harder and harder to come by Um, however it appears that there may have been uh, some previously unexpected and unknown migratory patterns within the monkfish that it, uh, they didn't know about. Anyways, <laughs> that's only one thing. But anyways, all right, I'm done. I'm done on the monkfish. Eric got the rest of it. So, since that was Eric's award, what what are you choosing to give your award for OK Boomer, David? Ah, well, since he took the monkfish from me, um, I ha- I do have another one, and mine is the 1990 Schwinn. Blue mountain bike probe uh, in the first scene that you see leaning against the brick wall and then carried away by one of the other kids. And you can tell that it is the Schwinn and not the Huffy bike that was modeled after this same model of bike that is identical in both color and frame design because it has 
no extra coils on the rear seat because the only difference between the Huffy version and the Schwinn version is the modernized mountain biking seat that was on the Huffy version versus the traditional cyclist seat that was on the Schwinn. Okay. <laughs> Don't let me have Google when I'm bored. <laughs> well, uh, for my okay boomer award, I went with Doom 64. <laughs> which is what they are playing in Dylan's basement in the background while Malcolm is talking to Kirsten, uh, which I was uh, momentarily confused by because uh, there's clearly a parademon in it, but then the environment looked like Goldeneye. And I was very confused because I forgot that they put Doom on the Nintendo 64 as well. But looking at screenshots from Doom 64, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I'm surprised I missed that. I'm not going to lie. Same. You were too focused on the monkfish. <laughs> Deep dive into be? migratory patterns and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> but that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Oh boy. The bread and butter. Eric, who did you choose as your least shitty kid? I chose Reese. All right, so his uh, tyrannical approach at crafting the dinner was done from a place of love, as he later says during the prayer, and he doesn't know how else to show his family his love for them aside from cooking, and he just wanted to make everything as good as it could be. He did steal the money from Hal, uh, but Dewey used manipulation tactics and probably didn't use the entirety of the money, keeping the rest, so some of that could have potentially been returned to Hal. The amount of time and effort he put into preparing the dinner, in my opinion, makes up for the bad thing that he did. Plus, he injured himself to ensure that the meal didn't get ruined. So, Reese is the least shitty. David? I know I actually agree with Eric on this one, except for some of his reasoning. But, uh, look, you frequently tell me the ends justify the means. And uh, Reese very clearly uh, was doing what he had to to ensure a perfect dinner because he wanted not only, uh, again, there was a little bit of selfishness there, but he wanted to provide a heavenly dining experience for his family, who very clearly have never had a good Thanksgiving. And I think that that's noble. I think that he's working very hard. He even went to the extra layer of blocking himself away from the rest of the house because he knew that he would get distracted and stop, which shows a level of self-awareness that Malcolm usually lacks. And yes, he does do some bad things, but compared to the other boys, I would argue that his bad things are not as bad. Shockingly, we are all in agreement. I also think Reese was least <laughs> shitty kid of the episode, even though I do think uh, Eric's justification for his defense of Reese stealing the money... And the idea that Hal is getting any of that money back is a little uh, <laughs> sketchy, but right, yeah. I, I agree with everything else both of you said. Yeah, him going to these extremes to prepare this perfect meal for his family makes up for that theft. And who did you choose as your shittiest kid, Eric? I had to get philosophical here instead of mathematical because uh, my strike system <laughs> that I implemented last time, it had what I thought was going to be a very clear winner based on that. But the more I thought about it, I arrived at the following. All right. So Malcolm ruined Reese's hard work and literally everyone else's dinner 
but he is getting severely punished for that. Having to change Jamie's diaper for six months in and of itself far eclipses the bad that he did, and he doesn't get any credit for the quote-unquote good thing that he did. Yes, I said good in quotes because you wouldn't call the guy a saint for not taking advantage of a drunk girl, but many other horny teens in that situation would not have done the same, so I think that that was at least a good enough deed to get him out of being the shittiest. I think an argument could be made for Dewey considering the monetary value of the items that he procured by manipulative means and for keeping the leftover money, but I'm actually giving shittiest to Francis for admitting to driving under the influence and for starting an argument with Piyama that could have ended their marriage because of it, worried about his credibility with guys that he works with or knows as opposed to being more concerned with what his wife thinks and feels than for being too stubborn to admit that he was wrong, even making his supposed apology about something else like <laughs> thong underpants and it, having to wait until Lois tricked them by saying it was a good idea for them to continue with the breakup before finally reconciling with his wife just despite his mom. So Francis shittiest by a ranch mile. Look, <laughs> Francis shitty kid, but shittiest? No way. Look, he immediately recognized when talking to Malcolm, you didn't take advantage of a drunk girl. Malcolm hesitated. That's... Mm -mm. Look, on top of all the other shit he did, he definitely hesitated and he definitely thought about it, which is still pretty shitty in my book. Like there is no because trust me, I have been in that situation and there's not a moment's thought of like, should I do this? Not when you're a good fucking person anyways. Like, and I'm not a great person. And I was able to be like, nah, this fucked up and walk away. Like, if you can't even reach the bar of being me, like, <laughs> come on, Malcolm. On top of everything else he does, like his drunk, you know, getting drunk in the first place and, and then going and vomiting all over everything and, and throwing the beer can just like across the room. <laughs> Shitty guest move. Malcolm has so many strikes against him in this. And, and Malcolm is the shit. But he gets son. his comeuppance. Like he, he gets duly punished for all of those things. Ooh, so he, he gets grounded. He, it's not grounded. He has no, what was the laundry list? He has no TV, no video games, no computer. He has to scrub like with yeah. a toothbrush all the tile in the house, wash all the windows, change all the diapers for half of a year, and like nine more things that we don't even know. That's incredible. Yeah, and I'm an adult, and I have to do all those things anyways. <laughs> but anyways, like... Not with a toothbrush. <laughs> that's not really comeuppance for Malcolm. That's just like... Uh, I mean, he even references it. Mom must be going soft. <laughs> well, that's because he was passed out for the other nine punishments. <laughs> yeah. Just still, you know, it's it's meh. You know, easy peasy for him, especially for, you know, getting drunk, vomiting all over everything, walking home drunk and, uh, you know, barely failing to sexually assault and take advantage of a young girl. So, yeah. I, I mean, the last part you mentioned is obviously the big one. Like what he did at home, like vomiting on everything, that probably doesn't even crack the top 10 of like shitty Wilkerson Thanksgivings, right? I mean, considering what we saw like in the flashbacks, they're not even going to remember that in like a future. If they did a future episode where they had to flashback, this probably wouldn't even crack that montage. It depends on uh, what type of person you are. Some people might think the food's still edible. Uh, anyways. <laughs> it's just marinated. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's so gross oh. uh. <laughs> uh. I have listeners now Mo moving, moving away from that oh please <laughs> I find myself in the unfortunate position of having to agree with David 
Ha! Because I, I, I do think that, uh, well, Francis is the, the obvious other choice here. I, I think uh, we saw Reese spending the entire episode, like, putting his heart into this meal, which Malcolm just completely ruined. Uh, which I do think, like, maybe not for the rest of the family, but I do think that would be, like, a memorable shitty thing for Reese in particular. And as David alluded to his, like, not, not even so much, like, his response in the moment, which I took more as just him being drunk and, like, piecing together what's going on there. But, like, his response afterwards to what happened with Kirsten, like, his feeling like he missed out on an opportunity and, uh, the, the, you know, saying that it probably means that he's gay and, uh, like, his yeah. failure to sort of understand why it was so fucked up until Francis has to, like, spell it out for him, even though he did do the right thing, is a slight against his character that I think, in conjunction with everything else, is enough to declare him shittiest kid over Francis. Uh, though, though, as you said, Francis is also very shitty this episode, and his whole thing with Fiamma also, like, pretty misogynistic. Yes, incredibly. Agreed. Yeah, it doesn't border on potential assault, but yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I'm not arguing anything about, like, the whole Malcolm thing. I just, I, I also think that we're also looking at it from a lens of we are better people than Malcolm just in general. And we're also, like, older, so we have, like, we're not thinking from a horny, drunk teen mindset. Like, yeah, him questioning about whether it was the right thing to do or not is, like, yeah, that does make him a shitty character, obviously. But, I mean, if we were teens, we also would not have gone through with taking advantage of someone. But we might have wondered, like, uh, uh, no, not even a nope. wonder. That, 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 ha no, because that happened to me. Legitimately, I had a friend whose wife, uh, we were about 17, and uh, she had a friend who had just gotten broken up with and called her over to the house where we were all partying at and, uh, brought her over and got her super hammered while we were all drinking and then uh tried to get me to sleep with her and all that and uh yeah no that is where uh I ended up the only time I've ever walked anywhere like drunk I ended up walking across town as a minor while drunk uh because I was like no this is this is fucked up fuck you guys uh and I stopped partying with those people after that so yeah. But that wraps up our awards. We have a couple segments left, beginning with the Cranston Connection, which is where we form uh, tangential connections between every character Brian Cranston <laughs> has ever played in the belief that they are in some way or form all the same character. Uh, yes. And this this uh, was a, was a very interesting one. Um, and led to uh, an episode that I enjoy, but apparently some people have quite the the discrepancy of belief on in Breaking Bad, actually. And in this, we see Reese instilling in Hal, who will later, as we all know, become Walter White, the importance of clean instruments and the importance of removing any of the previous filth or grime or any sort of contaminants um, in order to have the highest quality product. So if you want to cook something that is, say, five-star 
you know, quality, <laughs> you have to have five-star quality cleanliness. And you see this manifest later in Walter White as he gets his own lab and insists on these extremely stringent cleaning regimens for the laboratory and, in fact, begins what some have referred to online as an obsessive crusade against a specific singular fly that entered the laboratory. And while some people read into this as a high metaphor for certain things that are going on in the show, this is actually simply the result of this obsessive need to ensure that his product is the highest quality, because as we've talked about before, he, that's part of his mentality. And he had it instilled by his son, who he still misses uh, to this day, in him that he has to have these instruments perfectly clean in order to create the highest quality product. Okay, then. <laughs> I, I like your uh, nonchalant dismissal of, of like, uh, interpretation of the episode along the way. Yeah, yeah. It's very literal, Jake. I don't understand. Like, people need to stop reading into it so much. Clearly. It's an, yeah, it's an episode about the lab has to be clean. So you're saying that the fly is not a metaphor for flies. For sharks, uh, I Correct. Think. I think the fly is a metaphor for sharks. That adds up. Yeah, you can't have sharks in your lab either. Psychopath. They'll mess everything up. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, that just leaves one last segment David's guessing game, which uh, you, you did uh, very well on this week. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. Especially yeah, after last week. I did about last week, too. There was the one before that that you did. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. But you successfully predicted that Francis and Piyama would be home. Uh, you sort of went back and forth, but decided that Ida would not be in the episode. Uh, you also predicted that Reese would be in charge of the cooking and that his plotline would center around that, which is obviously correct. And that there would be a family argument that you thought would probably center around Francis and Piyama versus Lois, uh, which isn't quite how it happened, but uh, obviously their uh, tumultuous relationship did play in. Then you also predicted that Malcolm would be away from the family for Thanksgiving and that he would end up having like a good, thankful Thanksgiving, which was at least initially true, <laughs> though obviously by the end of the episode it had sort of turned. <laughs> right. Uh, but you got mostly everything, so I gave you a 98%. Oh, nice. Yay. Ah, go me. Then what do you think happens next week? And Malcolm films Reese. Malcolm films Reese. Well, Malcolm is clearly going to get a hold of a video camera. I assume probably through AV Club or something tied to the... Because we all know the Wilkerson's aren't going to go up and buy one. <laughs> Maybe he borrows Stevie's camera that Stevie used to film Malcolm. That is a possibility, but I'm going to say no. I, okay. Because it also, it would fit for uh, him to join the AV club, which maybe it's not from the AV club, but I, I definitely think it'll be from like school or something like that. It's I don't think it's going to be from Stevie. In fact, I would be surprised if we see a whole lot of Stevie for a couple episodes. Like they had the big Stevie arc and usually when we have a lot of Stevie, unfortunately, they fail to use him for like another three to four episodes, which sucks. It's a great character. More Stevie, but let's see. So yeah, I think we're going to see Malcolm gets a camera for whatever reason. And then I'm sure he probably is going to be filming Reese almost in like a Phineas and Ferb-esque way, like the older sister, you know, always try, like 
trying to film him and to like prove he's doing something bad. You know what I mean? But gotcha. not but not getting like the shot that he needs, you know? Yeah. Um so I feel like there's gonna that's why it'll be consistent. Cause like if it was just one scene, he films him, boom. I, I don't think that's what it's gonna be. Um though it could. At first that's what I was in my head, but I think it's gonna be Malcolm's playing with the camera through the whole like or at least the majority of the episode. Yeah. And it's definitely gonna be focused on trying to capture images of Reese, obviously, and Reese, I would say, doing something negative. Don't know what that is. Don't have a fucking clue. I think we're going to see probably like a solo. No, maybe not this episode. We're due for like a solo, like Dewey-centric plotline, but I don't know if it's going to be in this episode or not. Trying to think if I have a guess for any of the rest of them. No, what do you think is going to happen with the uh, Doofenshmirtz B-plot this time around? <laughs> No, no, no. Look, I have kids, all right? We watch cartoons around here. I also, my wife watches cartoons too, so like yeah, I can't yeah, get away from that, that shit. That, that's why I know Phineas and Ferb. Fame. Uh, what about Hal and Lois? What are they going to be doing? I don't fucking, who gives a shit? Wow. Uh, I don't think this episode is going to center around them too much. I think they'll probably be, like, I don't think they're going to be the tertiary plot. Like, obviously, that'll still belong to Francis, but like, I, I, I don't think that Hal and Liss are going to be doing a whole hell of a lot. Like, obviously, they're going to be doing something. Half the time, that could just be taking care of Jamie for all I give a shit. Look, this is hard, all right? this is There's not a lot to go off here. What do I think Hal and Lois will be doing? Living their damn life. <laughs> um, I don't know. Let me, let me hang on. All right, so we got Reese doing stupid stuff. We got Malcolm filming stupid stuff, uh, or at least for... A portion of it. Do I want to bet this is the one? Is this the Dewey solo? I do know from a comment Jake made a couple episodes ago that we're going to start seeing a lot more of Dewey doing things. And I do know that there is a Dewey plot in this episode or in this season that is less than flattering to Dewey. We'll say. Huh. Think we're going to see a more supervillain Dewey? <laughs> I think later on in the season, yes, from what I have been told. Because I, th I think we're, I think the episode's mostly going to focus on Reese and Malcolm and, and I think Dewey. I think Dewey is going to get, maybe not like a whole plot line to himself, but I think we're going to see a lot more, a lot more Dewey in this episode. Like a, a Dewey-centric plot line then? Uh, yeah, probably. I would say, okay. I'd say there's going to be a Dewey-centric plot line. No clue what it's going to be about. What about Francis? You haven't waited on him? Hal and Lois are just... I don't, don't care. Yeah, I don't you, ever you guess that. You never guess the F-plot. Correct. <laughs> Unless it's telegraphed a mile away. Yeah, dude, I don't have shit for Lois and Hal. I have no clue. I have, I have exhausted everything that I can come up with out of this title and the show's patterns. I think that's going like, to reflect negatively do you understand? your grade. I'm sorry. You can shove my grade. Do you understand how little data points I have to go off of here? And I'm stupid. It's right there like in the what? title. Malcolm Films Reese. What more can you ask for? Let's... Yeah, calm down, Seinfeld. I don't know what more you want from me. We want a full summary of the exact episode, David. No, that's never going to happen. I don't know that if I gave you guys who have seen the, like, the show a title if you could do a summary of each episode especially if it was one we haven't seen recently nah super easy i hate you <laughs> especially the f plots <laughs> very obvious yeah.
He's typically in one location per season. So he's like, oh, he was in Alaska. You just say he's doing some Alaska things or he's in the ranch. He's doing ranch things. That's. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you guys would allow me to. You would allow that as as a guest from me. Let me tell you. I hate you guys. Half the time you guys are like, what color are the shoes going to be? I don't know. I mean, that, that does raise an interesting point. What color do you think Francis' shoes will be in the next episode? I don't care. But we'll go with brown or tan. Okay, brown or tan. Writing that down. <laughs> you better not actually write that down, you piece of shit. That's a guess. No, it's not. It's a joke, just like this segment. I think that's at least 2% of the grade right there. Oh, no, if I get that right, 2%, that better... 2%? Okay, okay. If I get that right, that better be bonus. Look, Eric created this segment, so I mean, I think if he says it's worth 2%, then it's worth 2%. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hate you guys. <laughs> this is starting to get worse than the stupid uh, fucking Avengers thing that we did. Fuck. But David, who do you think the Avengers team is? That protects Idaho. <laughs> oh, dude, there was a period of time where I actually knew that one. <laughs> I lived in Idaho for a period of time, Jake. I've looked up the states I gave a shit about. Okay, well, uh, now, now that we've thoroughly got off the rails at the end of the episode here. <laughs> uh, why, why don't you uh, tell anyone who missed it at the top of the episode where they can find you, Eric? Thank you. Yeah, file under entertainment podcast with eric and guests now you guys have been on for the h episode you're coming back for m uh, we've got a lot of fun episodes uh music related stuff with the music embedded in the episodes now so that's always a, a fun listen that people are enjoying our whole first season covered movies which uh, you guys uh, did some guest spots on there as well uh also evil mark show for anyone that likes sports and hearing that kind of stuff uh i'm on the thursday episodes of that as well yeah, be sure to check both of those out and if you would like to support us monetarily, you can do so on Patreon, where we are Let's Play Death Ray. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you enjoy the banter back and forth and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray. There we play games live, interact with the audience, and in general, have a good time. We are live at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time every single night except for Friday and Saturday. And as always, remember, life is unfair.